It is uh, really a joy to uh, welcome you this morning and just to say good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And um, as Pastor Kyle said, this is a unique and special morning and weekend, but we're so glad uh, that you're here and parents of uh, our students. Thank you so much for joining them in worship this morning and being with us. And um, I think I've said this probably more than once. Maybe I don't, I don't say it every day now, but I definitely have said it before. But it is such a sweet thing to hear um, this room filled with the praise of Jesus um, from these uh, students and you parents alike. It's uh, just, it, it brings so much joy to my soul. Um, as I was standing there singing and worshiping Jesus, I, I thought about, uh, we always hear all the time, I'm sure we'll hear it maybe even this afternoon, athletes talk about when they get on the field and they, uh, they're in a big arena, uh, a big stadium, and they just, when they're, they're just moved by the emotion and the raw power of all of the voices surrounding them, um, shouting down, cheering them on. And um, as I was standing there, I couldn't help but think of just um, the, the, the song, as we even sang the words, that we're surrounded by songs of deliverance. And um, just what that speaks and just the encouragement that is uh, to hear us uh, sing to Jesus um, and to testify of who he is and his greatness. Um, it is su such a joyful thing. And the, the truth is, uh, moms and dads... The reason, one of the many reasons, but one of the reasons that we, um, we do weekends like this, that we put such an emphasis on student ministry, is that we know throughout history, revival has happened, and it's often, most often started with young people, with the generation, the young generation that is inheriting and taking leadership and taking on the mantle of caring and stewarding us ahead. And so to see this generation of young people from sixth grade, to young professionals, college and beyond, who have come to lead these young students, just to see this generation of people who are love Jesus and are passionate about Him and want to see His name made famous. Um, there's nothing greater. There's nothing that brings more excitement to me than to see that. And uh, so just thank you so much for uh, being here. Uh, I want to especially make a note of, of thank you to, if you're, if, if you're a parent and uh, you're not a regular part of City Church and uh, you entrusted your child to us this weekend, we are so thankful to you uh, for doing that. You didn't necessarily know many of us or know all of us, um, and you were willing to do that. And we, we appreciate that uh, so much. Um, we also know that so many of you are a part of other church families and um, in this community and faithfulness to your church is one of the most clearest instructions that we have uh, in scripture and so I want to challenge you students that you're going to leave here the sun this Sunday morning and go uh, back to your home church to take what you've learned this weekend and be a leader in your church and serve and find a way to um, continue this um, and be a part build up the church um, that's one of the things that we believe in this church as part of worshiping together. The reasons that we have uh, our students worship with us, the larger body of Christ, is because we want them to see the body of Christ at work. We want them to plug in and engage with us. Um, but we just want to bless you and thank you for being a part. And um, to our City Church family, all of those that Kyle had stand up, um, just seeing you live out uh, the mission that God has given us, again, on top of standing and listening to us gather and worship, 
it, but seeing you live out faithfully um, what we uh, believe God called us to uh, some six years ago and just continue in the fight, um, continue pressing forward, um, opening up your homes. I saw many feet on walls in that video. Um, I know of other broken furniture. Um, our kids are generally pretty good, but I mean, they're, 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 you know, you get that many kids somewhere, things are going to happen. And just your faithfulness to love them, to stay up till very strange hours of the morning um, uh, as adults. I'm not talking about the kids, but you staying up with them um, and encouraging them and feeding them like kings. You gave these students a taste of heaven, what it looks and feels like to be a part of the family, to just feast and just to um, just enjoy fellowship and enjoy Jesus together. And so thank you so much as one of your pastors um, just walking around yesterday and seeing and being and popping into some of your homes. Man, it encouraged me uh, so greatly. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for sacrificing and, and, and laying down your lives uh, so that these students could have an opportunity to meet with Jesus. Um, we're so grateful. And um, with that, I want to thank our student ministry team. Uh, you see Kyle and Matt a lot, but the Gallimores, the Coxes, Leanne, the Duffields, um, thank you so much to them who lead out in this. Um, and uh, um, we're so grateful for you guys. Give the, that team that put all this together a round of applause for me. They are fantastic, and, um, and we're so grateful. You know, as we consider again what Maggie read for us from Romans chapter 12, and just um, turn to another text in the scripture that I'm going to uh, open you up to in Colossians, I've been thinking about what um, the Lord has begun through this weekend, um, and what I pray that He would continue to do. And, it's been said in different ways. I remember it uh, most primarily from a DC talk quote, and most of you don't know who that is. That's because I'm old. Um, but in, it, it, in one way or another, it's been said that the greatest hindrance to the advance of the gospel, to the advance of the kingdom, to building the kingdom is not the atheists, not those who reject God outright or those that would attack our faith, but rather it's those who would confess Christ, call themselves Christians with their mouths and deny him with their actions. To say and speak the name of Jesus, to have it posted on our social media, to hang it from our walls, to do all of the various things that we do to alert the world that we follow Jesus and that he is our king, but then in every, almost every other area of our lives, to deny him with our actions. To say, no, that's not most important to me. No, that's not what I don't go there. This is, and to carve out and, and to, to try to de determine that I'm going to follow Jesus in this way. This is the way that I I follow Jesus. But the Bible has, there's no picture of that in the scriptures. What the scriptures show us is that the follower of Jesus, the one who truly has been adopted as a son or a daughter, says that he is my king, he is my Lord. He can't be your king and your savior if he's not also your Lord. Those, those three things go together, those titles, those names. You know, as I thought about this, and you think of the character of Judas in Scripture, and none of us, rightfully so, none of us, I don't think any of us in this room, by and large, I can't know every soul in the room, but I can't say that many of you think, man, I'm with Jesus or Team Judas uh, kind of shirts. That's not your game, probably. You're not rooting for Judas. We don't hear his name and think, oh, yeah, he's a pretty good dude. You know, he's all right. No, when we think of the name Judas, when we hear that name Judas, we think of the one who betrayed Jesus. And yet, so often... As we plot our way through this life, we tell the world, we speak the name of Jesus, 
in some way or another, but we don't follow him. We go about our day betraying who he would call us to be, the life that he would call us to live. Now, this is, of course, why Jesus had to go to the cross. This is why the gospel is good news. Because Jesus went to the cross because we were helpless. Pastor Kyle last night spoke to our students and he talked about being helpless. And we were helpless. But if we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, if we've been purchased through his blood, been made new as we talked about... If last night, students, you said, I believe in that gospel, I believe that message that I heard, that Jesus went to the cross, laid down his life for me. Or parents, leaders, maybe 10, 15, 20 some odd years ago, sometime in your past, you're thinking, yes, I believed in that gospel. That you put your hope in Jesus. The Bible says that we have been made new. It says that you're no longer who you once were. See, one of the challenges, students, that you're going to face if God moved in your life this weekend is that there is a a past, whatever that past was, and Pastor Kyle talked about that, that we get new identities last night. But there is a past that is going to be waiting for you. You're going to step back into your normal routine of life. You're going to step into the hallways of your schools. You're going to step onto the sports fields or the extracurricular activities that you engage in. You're going to go over to a friend's house that wasn't a part of this weekend, that doesn't know what God's done in your life, hasn't been aware of that, and you're going to find there's going to be a confrontation. And you're going to realize and you're going to come to grips very quickly with the fact that who I once was is not who I am any longer. And the things that you once were acceptable of, the things that you once might have even believed in, the things that you once might have said, yeah, that's all good, I can deal with that. Now you're saying the Holy Spirit at work in you is giving you some, you're repelling against that a little bit and you're you're going to wonder to yourself, "What, what is this new feeling? What is going on here? When I came to faith in Christ, I was alone by myself. My older brother had written the gospel out to me over a number of letters. This was before email. That's how old I am. Then he would send me letters sharing the gospel and the good news, instructing me to read scripture. And alone in my room, I believed. And I got down on my knees and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But I wasn't surrounded by a group of believers at that time. And so I went off to college the next fall. And I came face to face with this confrontation. The old self, who I once was, and some of the friends that knew me when I showed up there and spent time there, they were wondering, what's going on? And I felt so compelled that I had to leave. I left that school. I withdrew. There was nothing wrong with any of the people or any of the place. It was, a, it was my own decision. But I realized that I had to make some serious and radical changes in my life so that I could be faithful to who God had called me to be. That is part of what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 12 that Maggie read for us. How do we live this life? How do we continue to follow Jesus? How do we fight the temptation of our flesh that leads us and is going to say, okay, you can just slip back into everything that was once normal to you? Colossians 3, 1 through 17 gives us another picture of this. It expounds in sort of more broad terms from Romans 12. Romans 12 says that we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. And in in Colossians, Paul expounds upon that and gives us a little bit more depth as to what that looks like. And so if you want to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, some of this will be behind me on the screen if you don't have a, a Bible with you. 
But you can open there. And he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. He opens up this letter in chapter 3 and he says, If then you have been raised with Christ. One of the first things that we have to ask ourselves, and we can tell from this text, is he's writing to people who have professed a faith in Christ. They profess to be Christians. If then you have been raised. I would ask you, your parents, your students heard this last night. Is that you? There is no more important question that you could ever ask in your life than to ask yourself and to consider what God, the Holy Spirit, might be speaking to you in this moment as I ask you this question. If then, have you been raised? Have you been raised with Christ? I told you about becoming a believer by myself in my room when I was a teenager, a young man. Here's what I came face to face with. I came face to face with the reality that I was a sinner. Because of who I am in my nature, not because of just actions that I had dabbled in and things I had done, but because of who I was, God would have been just and been right to convict me as guilty and to cast me aside forever and ever. But because of Jesus, Jesus came and he laid down his life on the cross. And he did that to be a right and just justification for God's judgment against me. To stand in my place. He laid down his life willingly so that I could be adopted as a son. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin. Not just any sin, not the sins of the world. Yes, all of those things encompass, but until we realize and it becomes personal to us and we recognize that it was for me. I knew all the Bible stories. I had been in church most Sunday mornings of my life. But until that moment, the Holy Spirit had not opened my eyes to see and convinced me of this reality that I was in need of a Savior. It was personal. But what Jesus did when he laid down his life on the cross was enough. God was satisfied with his sacrifice. And so I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where my hope is. That's where all of my life is found, as we're going to see here in Colossians, in that finished work, what he did. Not in my own ability, not in my religious activity. I know some of you think because I'm a pastor that makes me special. It doesn't. I'm an idiot. I'm a train wreck, say it, City Church. Y'all know that. I mess things up all the time. I'm no less than or greater than a sinner than any other person in this room. But my hope is in Jesus. My life is found in Him. And so when I look and consider that question, if then, have you been raised with Christ? If you have been, I can answer that confidently. Not because of who I am, but because I know what Jesus did. I can answer it confidently. Yes, I've been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. If you don't know the answer to that question, I would ask, I would plead with you, friend, 
talk to someone. Talk to someone that you trust. If you can't think of anyone right now, come up to the front at the end of this service or find me. Stick around long enough. I'll be here, I promise. I'd love to talk with you about that. There's nothing more important. But if we have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's calling us to lift our eyes, to consider that this life is not everything. It's not the most important. It's not ultimate for us. If we have believed, if we have trusted that we have been raised with Christ, we're to live a different life. And that life is going to look by people who seek the things that are above. Living life in a way that keeps our eyes and our minds focused on Christ. Keeping our eyes and our minds focused and our attention directed to the things that bring God the most glory. Setting our minds on the things that are above means that we find the most value in the things of God rather than the things of this world. One quote that I read preparing for this message, I love this, said, people today spend not because they need, but for identity. People today spend not because they need, but for identity. Do we go throughout our day looking for things that will satisfy us, looking for things that might give us that source of identity that we're so hungry and desperate for because we don't find our identity rightly in Jesus. We don't find our identity. We're not satisfied with being a son or a daughter. We're not satisfied with being someone who's been raised with Christ. We go and we look for any sort of satisfaction that this world might have to offer. We need to remember, brothers and sisters in Christ, that where we direct our eyes and where we direct our minds, and I don't just mean that in the fleshly sense, although that is part of it, but where we spiritually can kind of keep our hearts and our minds directed, that will direct our path. Last night, Pastor Kyle talked about this episode of a skiing excursion that he was on with his wife. And parents, I'll bring you up to speed. Pastor Kyle's not a very good skier. Not our Pastor Kyle, but our speaker last night was talking about this. He's not a very good skier. Or he was, and he's improving. He's getting better. Um, but he's not quite up to speed. And so he's talking about going on his very first ski trip. And he gets off, and he's good with greens. He's gone through ski school. He's skiing the greens. And as he found his way uh, kind of to the top of the hill, he looked to his left. And he ended up going down a black. Now, if you're not a skier, a black is imminent death if you're not a skier. Okay? Those two things are correlated. Black, imminent death. That's the same thing if you're not a skier. If you're a more advanced skier, then you can handle that type of terrain. But as he was speaking that, here's what I said. Do you, know, you want to know why, Pastor Kyle, you went down that black? Because your eyes and your head and therefore your hands turned and you looked down that hill. And if you've never been to ski school, let me just give you some instruction. You're sitting right here, right here, 9 and 6 o'clock or 3 o'clock, whatever, I don't have clocks. We do this, we do this, that's where our skis are going to go. We turn to the left, that's where our, Pastor Kyle, his eyes and his hands and his mind turned to the left, and he found himself barreling down that black diamond, screaming help, yard sale everywhere. The same is true for us Christians. As we turn our minds and our eyes and our focus and our attention, if we look to the left or we look to the right or wherever our, wherever our, our gaze is directed, that is where our life is going to be. 
And so if we want to continue in the faith, if we want to be faithful in what God has called us to be, we have to seek the things that are above. We have to set our minds on Christ. In verse 5, he tells us what we need to do with the things of this world. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. Now that sounds radical, but all of us in this room know we can't dabble with sin. You can't play around with sin. Playing around with sin is like playing around with a wild animal. You will get killed. You will get hurt. It will find you out. And so he instructs us to put to death because our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our souls are focused on the things that are above where Christ is. Our lives are found there. All the things of this world, we can put them to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put all those things to death. Verse 7, if then you once walked, if these you once walked, two you once walked, were you living in them? But now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We have to put all of those things away. We have to do the hard work to do that. That's not easy to do. I realize that. It's a challenge. It's especially a challenge in our culture where the world and where many of your friends are going to be saying to you, when I say friends, I'm speaking both to students and parents, by the way. Many of your friends and your social circle are going to say, no, 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 just keep coming with me. Keep doing this. Keep going there. Keep hanging. This. All of that's fine. No, we can stay on that. We can keep. Our schedule doesn't need to be adjusted. We don't need to change the way we live our lives. We can do everything that we want to do. But God's word says, the authority says, the one who created you says, put it to death, end it, remove it from your life. And that means death, radical treatment. And why do we do that? Why do we seek the things above where Christ is and put to death those things that are of old? The reason is, it's found at the end of verse uh, 1 in chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See, we lift up our eyes and we set our eyes and our attention on the things that are above and let this world just sort of drift away in value and in importance because we believe in the victory of Jesus. We believe that he did conquer death, that he was raised. Where are we setting our minds? We're setting our minds on Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God. If Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, where is he not? In the grave. If he's seated with God, if he's at the right hand of God, that's what it says here, then he can't be dead any longer. Now, I know that sounds simplistic, and we've talk, we talk about that all the time in church. You've probably heard that many times. But we need to believe that. We have to realize that he is not any longer in the grave. He has been given the victory. And this is an act of faith to believe that Jesus overcame the grave. The reason that Jesus is a Savior, the reason that He is a Lord worth following is because He went to the grave and three days later He took up His life again. He was raised from the dead. The grave could not hold Him. 
So like Jesus, our old self was also put to death, put in the grave. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what happens when we believe. Some of you recognize when we celebrate baptism in our church, we have a physical presentation of that. We have a tank of water, and our bodies go down into the grave so that they can then be raised up, coming up out of the water into the life of Christ. The physical baptism that we practice is a representation of that reality. That when we put our faith in Jesus, our lives, we die to ourselves and we are raised up as new creations. So when we live, and the reason that we can keep our eyes up, keep our eyes focused on the things of God, keep our eyes focused on where Christ is, because it's because we have faith in what Jesus has done. We have faith in the finished work. The reason that we are so often tempted to not do that is the exact opposite. Because we aren't convinced. We don't have real, genuine faith that believes that Jesus overcame the grave. And so we toil through this life, trying to find some way to make ourselves good enough, right enough, that God might not condemn us. Now, I know you're thinking, I don't think like that. I know that's not always what's going through our minds, but when we chase around this world looking for satisfaction, looking for identity in something other than Jesus, what we're doing is we're, we're saying to ourselves, I don't know if Jesus was enough. I better find something else. I better find something greater. But when we believe in Jesus and our faith and our confidence is in him and we trust that he has had the victory then our eyes and our attention and our lives can be His and we can be focused on Him. He continues in verse 2, opening this up further. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Here is one of the sweetest truths in all of Scripture. One of the most glorious things that we can ever know in our hearts. And as I opened up the beginning of this message, if you don't know this truth, then that's exact. The reason that God brought you here is not so that you could see your student, not so you could pick them up, but so you could hear this. That when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross... That we are then found in Him. Our lives are hidden within the righteousness of Christ. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When we are found in Christ, guess what happens? We are clothed in His righteousness. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us, went to the cross. So that in Him, Jesus, we might be declared, that's you and I, the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
He who knew no sin, the perfect one. There was no reason on this earthly sense of things that he would go to the cross. But he did that. He became sin for us so that we might be declared, be called. Our identity might be said that we are the righteousness of God. That should cause us to be in awe. I hope the, the, the silence and the heaviness that I just sense in this room is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to each and every one of us. We who have believed in Christ are considered the righteousness of God. Is there anyone more righteous than God? Is there anyone more holy than God? Is there anyone more just than God? Is there anyone greater than God? Is there anyone more kind, more generous, more sweet, more precious, more awesome, bigger, greater than God? No. And because of Christ, because of what he has done, we, when we put our faith in him, are considered his degree of righteousness. His righteousness. We are pure as snow. When our lives are found in him, God looks upon us and no longer does he say, keep running around this world. Go figure it out, son. You need to find something that I can call you that looks better than that. No, you haven't figured it out yet. You need to suck it up a little bit. You're crying too much. You're whining too much. No, you just are really ugly. None of that. He says that you're my son. You're my daughter. You're the righteousness. You are my prized possession. That's what he looks at us and sees. That's why that verse is so sweet. Because when we put our faith and we put our hope in Jesus Christ, we now are found in him and he declares for us that we are his righteousness. The old is past. The new has come. And because of that, we can live differently. I'm going to close with these three things from verse 14 through 17, that as we live differently, Paul instructs us and and just gives us as a guide for our lives. In verse 14, after he declares all of this, that we have been made new and that we need to keep our eyes and our minds and our attention on Jesus, and we believed in him, that we're found in him. And because of that, here's what we're called to do. This is our marching orders. If you're a follower of Jesus today, friend, this is what, you're, what you need to do today, tomorrow, and all the days of your life. Verse 14, and above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. Just like the righteousness of God has been put on you and you put it on like a piece of clothing, like a coat that covers you. And now as God looks upon you, he no longer sees the sinner, the broken one, the messed up one, the one that messed everything up. He sees his righteousness covering you. We then are to put on top of that, put on a coat of love, a love that binds us together. You can't have disunity with people that you love. That's the work of Satan, to tear apart and to break apart. And as we continue with one another and we pursue one another and we walk with one another and we put on love over and over and over again, we will find that it binds us together. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're to bring unity, to bring solidarity, to go into this world as the body of Christ. Carrying out and being his love. So put on love so that as we walk around, it's who we are. I would ask you to consider, are you known for the way that you love Christ and love others? 
Let that be your aim. If you haven't set a resolution or if you set a resolution then you failed, okay. By the way, today is the day that all the resolutions fail. That's what somebody told me on the calendar. By January 19th, they're all done. So today, we're starting a new. We're going to put on a new one. Our new 2020 resolution, if you've messed everything up already, is to put on love. To be known as someone who loves. Let that just be the identity that you're satisfied in. At school, at work, in the neighborhood. Man, I know that person. They love. They love me really, really well. They always are just encouraging and blessing me and speaking kindly to me. And all of those, let that be our aim. Put on love. And when we do that, he says, in verse 14, and above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Second challenge, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Again, the reason that we struggle to put on love is because too often we're fighting with one another and we're trying to get a leg up on one another. Students, this is one of the chief challenges that you have in this world. I see as you stand in these aisles sometimes on Sunday mornings and even today, and you look to your left and you look to your right. As you go about your day, you're wondering, what are they doing? What are they doing? Can I get a leg up on them? Is there some way that I can be viewed a little bit better than they are? Can I find myself? Can I compete and win against them? That's not the way that God calls us to live. What he says is that as we love one another, that we will be peacemakers and that we will have peace. And that peace comes from knowing that we are just fine. Here's something that we need to come to grips with. Whatever you have, whoever you are, it's enough. Jesus has paid the price for you. He loved you right where you were. That's peace. When I don't have to struggle against this world, when I don't have to try and achieve to make my name famous, I have peace. I'm able to just be calm. I'm able to be satisfied in who God is and who he's, given, he's called me to be. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Jesus' peace is everlasting. And his peace comes from a settledness in who he is. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. You will fail, just like we so often fail, in achieving those resolutions. If we set our aims and we say, I'm going to set my minds on the thing above, I'm going to try to live for Jesus tomorrow better than I did today, I'm going to do all the things that Pastor Ryan just spoke of, you will fail if you don't allow the Word of God to dwell in you. It's the Word of God that transforms us. That renewal of our minds, the transformation that Maggie read for us from Romans chapter 12, comes from absorbing and soaking in the Word of God. Making that a regular part of your day and your life. Make that, every day of your life, your aim to spend time in God's Word and to allow His Word to dwell in you. And finally, in verse 17, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Bring glory to His name. Let that be your purpose. Why do I love my neighbor? Why do I love my classmate? Why do I love my friend? Why do I care? Why do I, why do I try to just keep their minds focused on the things that are above rather than the things of this world? 
Because my purpose here is to bring glory to God, to bring glory to my Father, to the one who adopted me as his son. I want to bring him glory above all else. That's my purpose. That's what we live for. And if we can do that, we will see that revival that we pray for, that transformation of our culture, our nation, our world, that will happen as we seek His glory. I think about often, I know I might be a little bit morbid, but I think about the end of my life when I'm much older than I am today by God's mercy and grace. When I think about the end of my life and I think 20, 30 years from now, here's what I pray and I ask God to do. To transform the hearts and minds of the souls in this room so that these young people who are going to go out and be sent all over the world and the stories of God's glory begin to pop up, the rest of the world will never know it. But when we get to heaven, we'll get together and we'll see this common starting point, this revival that broke out. And that missionary, and that mom, and that executive, and that pastor, and that co-worker, and that friend, and that guy down the street, and that neighbor, and they trace back. They grew up in Melissa, Texas. And they heard the name of Jesus. And they decided that they were going to live for the glory of God above all else. They were going to set their minds on the things that were above and the things of this world would become less to them. And we get to heaven and we'd be singing to Jesus and we begin to see person after person after person that we meet that is now our brother and sister in Christ that we're in worshiping Jesus in eternity with. Because a group of young people and their parents and their friends decided that God's glory was worth everything. That his purposes were enough. That's my, that's my dream. That's my prayer. That's my hope for each and every one of you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done in my life. I am an unworthy sinner. And yet I am a son. What, what amazing truth that is. And I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in this room who are also sons and daughters of God. Of you, Lord. Not because of what we've done, not because we were religious enough, because of you, Jesus, what you did on the cross on our behalf. And I pray that that sacrifice would be enough for us. That you would help us by the power of your spirit to stop chasing after the things of this world. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to set our minds on you, on the things that are above eternal life. This life is going to fade away. And the only thing that is going to last is our souls. 
So I pray, Holy Spirit, you just help us to keep our attention rightly on you. And I do pray, knowing that there are some in this room, perhaps many in this room, who don't know the peace of Christ, don't have that hope in the finished work, what you did on the cross for us, Jesus. So I pray that somehow the muddled words of my mouth might settle in and you might just remove all of the mess and allow your truth, your grace, your unconditional love to break through and take hearts of stone and turn them to hearts of flesh this morning. Please, Lord Jesus, anyone who is far from you, let them hear from you. Let them know that you went to the cross for them. They needed you, and you did it. Just like I needed you, and you did it. Lord Jesus, let them find their hope and their peace in you. Give them faith to believe that, yes, they too can be called a son of the Most High God, a daughter of the Most High God. I pray as we worship you, as we close in singing this morning, that your spirit would just continue to do work. Allow your truth to reign. And I do pray, Lord, that you would help us all, me first and everyone after me, to live for your glory, for your purposes. Help us to love like you love us, Jesus. Would you bring revival and perhaps would you allow it to start with the students at the front of this room? Raise them up, Jesus. Empower them. Equip them. Hold them fast. Let them know that you are enough. Give them boldness to say no to the things of this world, even against moms, dads, coaches, friends, others that might come against them. Let them say, no, I'm standing. I'm going to do what I need to do for Jesus. Move everything out of the way so that our eyes and our minds and our hearts, our lives can be focused completely upon you, Jesus. I pray that that would happen. I pray that you would do it, Jesus. Not for our glory, but for yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. And I'm going to tell you, this song, um, it wrecks me. This is the song that I listen to. Stay with me, students. This is the song that I listen to as I wrote the sermon for my mom's funeral. I don't know why I'd never heard it before, but as I was writing, trying to figure out how to bring glory to God. As I said goodbye to my mom, this song came on Spotify, and I just listened to it over and over and over again. So it wrecks me because it takes me back to that place. But as I testified to last week, I don't know what trials you might be in, what things you might face, the challenges that are going to come against you, but I told you you're going to live through them. I'm alive. I'm doing well. My mom is with Jesus. I'll be with him soon enough and be with her again. So I believe... He's going to do it again. 
Whatever walls surround your heart, probably, or potentially even maybe bigger than that, your family situation, believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Him. He'll tear down those walls. He'll tear them down if you would believe. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing loud because Jesus has torn down the walls around our hearts and he has made us new and we're going to live for him. Amen? Let's sing. He's never failed us. And he never will. Put your hope in him, friends. That's all I can say. Put your hope in him. He will never fail. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.